I'm licensed psychotherapist Greg Woodhill. Welcome to a Brave New Man podcast. On this show, we speak with both experts and non-experts in our goal of exploring all the ways that men are already getting it right, acknowledging all the ways that we're getting it wrong, and most importantly, learning how we can fix what needs to be fixed in order to have healthier, happier relationships and lives. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so happy you are joining us here today. If the statistics are correct, 90% of you who hear the title of this episode will think, what does this have to do with me? Today, we will be talking to licensed marriage and family therapist Dan LaCovara, who has created something called the Gay Shame Paradigm. So if you hear that topic and you think that this has nothing to do with you, well, you're wrong. This entire show is about opening our minds and our hearts to those who are just like us, as well as those who have lived lives that are very different from ours, and creating a better understanding of the human experience so that we can live with more empathy and more compassion in our lives. So if you are gay or straight or anywhere in between, this interview applies to you because it will give us a deeper understanding into the human experience. Shame is that part of us that says you're disgusting, you're unworthy, you're unlovable. It's a lie. It's something that we learn through the experiences and relationships when we were young and we internalize those messages to mean that there's basically something inside of us that is completely unacceptable and unlovable. We all have our own version of shame, and in this interview, we enter the lives of men who have grown up being taught to feel ashamed of themselves simply because they were gay, even though they never had any actual reason to be ashamed. They learned to feel ashamed because of the experiences around them. As I understand the experiences and lives of people who have lived different lives than I have, I become a better person, and the same is true for you. Dan has used his experiences from his own life as a gay man, as well as the countless hours he has spent as a therapist working with gay male clients to construct this paradigm of how shame is created in the lives of gay men. The intention of this paradigm is firstly to allow gay men to understand how this particular brand of shame was created for them. And secondly, how to use that knowledge to heal that shame and live more fully into their loving and their greatness. Dan LaCovara is a licensed marriage and family therapist and has worked extensively with clients struggling with sex and love addiction issues. He is particularly interested in how gay clients navigate and develop a healthy relationship to sex. He has lectured both locally and nationally on this topic. This interview had me opening my mind and my heart as I learned about all of the different ways that gay men have learned to cope with the world around them and the pain that that has included. I felt a lot more love in my heart as a result of this conversation, and I hope you will too. Here's our interview with Dan. Hi, Dan. Hey, Greg. How are you? I am good. Thanks so much for being here. Well, thanks for having me on the show. You bet. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy you're here. About two years ago, I think, I came and saw you do a lecture, and I was so impressed at what you had come up with mm-hmm. as a gay man and somebody who has worked as a marriage and family therapist for many years with a lot of gay men. Mm-hmm. You came up with something called the gay shame paradigm, right. and I was really blown away, as was the whole audience, at the type of things you were talking about that, frankly, 
most people don't have the opportunity to sit and think about. Right. So you're really bringing something, I think, really important to the world. And thanks for coming here to talk about it. I'm very happy to. And, you, you know, it's interesting because when you say not a lot of people have time to sit and think about, including gay men, uh, as we all do, they're sort of focused on living their lives and don't have that chance sometimes to sit down and be introspective. Yes. So this was about, or this is about, um, helping people think about how they've lived their lives, how they want their lives to be lived, and uh, hoping that they can find some peace also yes. um, in terms of uh, their sexuality. Huge. Yeah. Would you just start by telling us what is the gay shame paradigm sure. that you came up with? So uh, when I was thinking about how to help gay clients, gay male clients, mm-hmm. I, I kept noticing that there were these different areas that we returned to over and over again areas of both trauma and uh, also the experience of being a gay man. Uh, And so I thought, let me see what I can put together Mm. so that there's a more holistic approach to treating clients. So that's that's really what I was looking at, is putting these dimensions or domains together to look at how this could be effective for treatment. Okay. So that was the impetus for you coming up with it. Absolutely. You were seeing so many, if I hear you correctly, so many of the same issues coming up. Correct, yeah. Some of the same things, like universal things that gay men had experienced that created the shame within them. Mm-hmm. And you said, let's let's name it. Yeah. Let's and let's figure out how to how to work with it in a, in and, a different and way. again from my even from my own experience, I do have the chance as a therapist to sit down and do be introspective and working with clients, as you know. You learn a lot. You're learning as much as they are at times. Yes. So this was a way to, again, sort of shape an experience, uh, help clients understand their experience, and also sort of tease it out. I love that. Yeah. Well, would you tell us then what are the four domains of the gay shame paradigm? Sure. There, uh, there is cultural trauma. We talk about cultural trauma, which we'll, we'll chat about. There is stigmatization. There is internalized homophobia. And then there's complex trauma. Wow. Yeah. Well, let's go through those, can sure. we? What, Where do you want to start? <laughs> let's start with number one. Yeah. So um, the first one is cultural trauma. Okay. So if you think about uh, groups of people who've experienced trauma, uh, large groups, thinking about the Jews who experienced the Holocaust, yes. thinking about African-Americans who've experienced slavery, people today haven't necessarily experienced that, but the messages about those terrible events have been passed down. Uh, they've been passed down both by storytelling and on some level genetically where we know that trauma resides in the body. Mm-hmm. So while the gay community or gay men, you know, sort of haven't been passed down genetically these issues, if you think about traumas like AIDS mm. or if you think about traumas like the gays who were murdered during the Holocaust. Yes. So what happens is what I was seeing was that individuals were taking in these traumas and it was becoming again, I think, embedded in their system. Uh, witnessing, uh, you know, the aftermath of the Pulse nightclub shooting where so many gay people were killed. Yes. Or thinking about um, the impact of AIDS on an entire generation and a generation that we lost, generation of artists, you know, uh, uh, politicians, uh, you know, friends and lovers. And Uh so whether or not that's transmitted Physically, it still is transmitted, I believe, in, in sort of into our DNA. Through the culture, through hearing and knowing and, right. and, and, hearing, and absorbing these things. Through hearing, knowing, and seeing. So that would be the cultural trauma. Okay. Um, and then we're looking at uh, stigmatization. Mm. Uh, and when you think about stigmatization, uh, it really is when someone comes out or someone is out and someone calls them faggot mm. or someone gives them a dirty look or somebody... Uh, kicks them out of the church or Mm. families uh, reject them. 
they are stigmatized. We as gay men are stigmatized. I experienced that as, as being Catholic, mm. uh, that my church said no. No what? No, don't be gay. Oh. Or be gay but don't have sex. Mm-hmm. So right there, sex and shame were linked. And yes. I think sex and shame are linked not just because of religion, but because of how society perceives gay men and sex. It's very difficult, I think, for many people to separate those things. I'm with you. And two things come to my mind, Dan. One of them is that I imagine it is extremely traumatic for a gay man even to see that stigmatization directed toward another person. Absolutely. Whether or not they're in the crosshairs in that moment. Right. Well, because you can identify with it and you often can't protect that person. Mm. You want to, but then, you know, that's a risk to your yourself, yes. whether it's physical, psychological, emotional. Um, and so, the, again, I, I think about all of these things becoming part of our internal DNA, internal DNA meaning mm-hmm. part of our, our system, Yes, the way our bodies respond. And a piece of that stigmatization uh, and the cultural trauma um, and the others we'll discuss is that sense of your system always being elevated. You know, as a gay man, certainly growing up, I was very aware of, was I looking at a guy for too long? Mm. I'm a 10 year old. I knew I was gay. Was I walking too much like a quote unquote sissy? Uh, You know, and so there are elements of that that I believe still exist in me today, no matter how evolved I think I am or healthy as a gay man, is being very aware of my surroundings and how I'm perceived. Yeah, when, when you talk about that, I, I get like the visceral sense in my body of walking through a dangerous neighborhood mm-hmm. or a neighborhood we perceive as dangerous or driving through somewhere where there's like a visceral sense of danger. What I'm hearing you say is that that is a feeling that you carry around with right. you because of the stigmatization. Well, because there's no neighborhood you can avoid. You know, there's the, you, there's no just a dangerous area. The world can be a very dangerous place for a gay man. Yeah. Um, as with other people. But of course, I'm looking at this as what is it like to experience the totality of life uh, as a gay man? And again, how that leads to shame and makes it very difficult for people, men, to feel good about themselves and good about their sexuality. So I was about to, to jump to number three, if you're good with that. I, I was just going to say one more thing, which is that I was remembering a conversation that we had when you were talking about a regular run-of-the-mill Holland America cruise that you had been on, but you referred to it as a straight cruise. Mm-hmm. And that really surprised me. And I remember right. we talked about it, that like from your paradigm of living, mm-hmm. if it's not a gay cruise, it's a straight cruise. Right. Whereas... For straight people and heteronormative society mm-hmm. we live in, we would just call that a cruise. Exactly, exactly. And so, you know, whether it's a straight cruise, a straight bar, you know, a straight restaurant, right? Yeah, you know, um, being aware of the fact that, you know, as a gay man, that I am a minority in this world. Gay men are minorities. Yeah. And so, whether you're a straight white male, straight white woman, whatever you want to look at it as, you don't have to think about that. That's you right. don't have to think about. Okay, and I don't just mean feeling endangered, but you recognize you are different. A cruise with, I'm sure there were gay people on that cruise, but a cruise that was probably 95% straight, I look at that as part of my world, but also a separate world. Yeah. Um, And so it's not, these days, it's not so much about it being uncomfortable, but it is uncomfortable cognizant of it yes you know? and I try, you're aware I try very hard not to think that way I really appreciate um, that but again that's sort of just embedded yes you know the, the world is straight 
period. Which is a big part of what you're saying in this paradigm is yeah. this is something we live with. Yeah. So you were about to go into number three. Then. Yeah. Uh, so internalized homophobia. Mm. Um, that is something that, you know, if you think about stigmatization pushed on you, you take that in, you take that shame in and it helps define who you are. Mm. In other words, I'm bad because I'm gay because you've told me I'm bad because I'm gay. Uh, you know, the old expression, sticks and stones. Well, you know, words do hurt. When you say something to me about being gay, I'm going to be in pain and take that in, and some part of me is going to believe it. Um, and again, once again, going into shame. My desire for a man is bad. My desire to have sex with a man is bad. My holding the hand of a man is bad. And so we often, and I can certainly attest to this, um, end up being so aware of what we see as our deficits as a gay man, the way we look, the way we approach things. And within the gay community, we stigmatize each other and create internalized mm -hmm. homophobia. He's too much of a faggot. He's too much of a sissy. He, you know, he's butch. You know, the ways we define each other are the ways we feel like we've been defined. So there's a lot of shame uh, that we take and then also project it onto other people. Sure. Which is a way to feel more empowered. So let me take the yucky that I feel and put it on someone else. And so you're stigmatizing people in your own community yeah, and sure. use that as a way to deal with it or not deal with it. Yeah. And, and homophobia, who was it that said that in the last year or two is, is a misnomer in itself because a lot of homophobia isn't fear. Mm -hmm. Well, I think down deep it's fear, but it manifests as hatred. Yeah, yeah. And when you say that someone has internalized homophobia that, and that leads to shame. Mm -hmm. I would define shame as a bit of self-hatred. So Absolutely. It, it's, it's a, it's a, what you're describing is really a, a deep form of I'm bad. I'm wrong. Right. I'm I am, different. That's right. The, the, you know, this, as, as one of our dear uh, friends, Dr. Katahakis calls it, you know, the state shame versus the trait shame state mm. being, I blush when I say something silly, uh, the trait shame, I am, bad right which i think is a message that's put on gay men and and again gay women but we're talking about gay men here and it's very hard to build a strong enough shield particularly when you're young yes that that can bounce off of you and we're really talking about messages from five six seven years old i understand that um, yeah and even today when things are much better they're not much better for everybody uh, and the fourth trauma that i look at um and work with is the concept of complex trauma Okay. Uh, and really how there are multiple ways we can be traumatized as children from multiple directions, uh, you know, whether it's sexual, emotional, psychological abuse or neglect. Now, somebody could be in that situation and not be gay, right? We know lots of clients who've, who've experienced multiple traumas like that in childhood. But if you add that element of sexuality that inherently is seen as deficient or abnormal, you're already in a trauma state. You've already been traumatized, you know, emotionally. If your parents are treating you differently, if you sense that they are angry at you or reject you, right there you've got a trauma going on. Plus again, society creates the trauma about just the, just the being gay. Um, there's, all, there's a lot of research out there as well about uh, gay men's first time with sex. They're often very young. It's often in, in, is an older individual. Mm -hmm. It often includes anal sex, which if you're 14 or 15, uh, it's not really necessarily where you're ready to be. Mm -hmm. And so the notion of sex and sexuality, and we've talked about pornography, uh, gay porn, just like straight porn, it skews the experience of what sex is. 
Um, and that in itself, I believe, is traumatic. You know, this we know this from working with sex addicts, which is this exposure is confusing to me. So I, I think those four fit together pretty well. Yeah. Uh, and working with clients, it seems to be an effective way to help them tease out their own psychological issues around their sexuality and their approach to sex. So working through the lens of the gay shame paradigm that you're aware of, you make your clients aware of, how do you help clients heal from the shame? Boy, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we as therapists are always thinking how well we're doing what we do. Um, I think naming mm. the shame, naming the traumas, giving them the permission to talk about it, particularly to talk about the internalized homophobia, because I think we all want to believe we really feel good about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just not always true. Mm-hmm. Um, and so helping them own their shame, talk about their shame, name the words they say about themselves inside. I think that's in, in a way, one of the most important things you can do is give people permission to talk about what parts of themselves they hate. That's huge. Uh, rather than just sort of coddling them or yes. saying, it's okay, it's okay. It's not okay to hate yourself, you know, and I'm yeah. going to help you not hate yourself. But why do you hate yourself? You yeah, know? And, and so one of the things I think is so huge in what you're saying is that shame, as I define it, we take it as the truth. Yeah. We accept it as reality. If I think I'm ugly, fat, worthless, unlovable, I am believing that that's the truth. It's a knowing. It's right, not like right. I think that's true. It's a body-based feeling that's where right. I, I understand it. So uh, I understand it to be true if I believe it. So when you work with your clients, first of all, in naming it, mm-hmm. one of the things I hear in what you're saying, Dan, is that there's an us. You're yes. saying, if you believe these things about yourself, here's how it developed and here's why it's there and you're not alone. Right. And, and you know, there, there are many schools of, of doing therapy, right? There's the opaque, there's, you know, the I don't exist other than as your therapist, but I'm very, very comfortable sharing my sexuality yes, um, and my experience, not to the point, obviously, of, of making therapy about me, but it is, it is walking with them, right? Um, you know, it's diving into the darkness. And yes. if you can't share your own experience of that darkness, it's hard for a client to trust you. And, right. and you know that. Yeah. Um, I don't want to be this person sitting there just sort of letting them talk at me. Hmm. I want, I think good therapy is conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and to talk about, to name these traumas is also to own them myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think by doing that, it creates a kind of relationship where we can walk the journey together, but also uh, there's a level of trust. Yes, and in that level of trust, they're with somebody that, that they trust in you, and you used the word naming earlier. So if you're naming the names that they call themselves beneath their awareness or with their mm-hmm. awareness, you can then tease those out as bullshit. Right. As this is what you learned, mm-hmm. it's not true. And to start to, I don't know if, I think unlearn is the wrong word, but to replace it right. with I, more accurate messages of loving and self-acceptance and and healing from the yeah. trauma because those are deep traumas that you're talking and about. I, exactly. And I think what's important is, is again, it, maybe not everyone will do this, encouraging anger. Okay. Really asking them to be angry about what was said to them or what they experienced or uh, what the world has put on them or put on us. And, and that sounds a little dramatic, but by expressing the anger, there's also a healing in that. You uh, know? How so? Well, I think that 
it's beyond naming it. It's the validation. You should be angry. Why wouldn't you be angry? I understand that anger. Even if I weren't a gay therapist, I think it's important to let people have those negative feelings. I not, appreciate you know, that. That's yeah. not, therapy is not always pretty. I think the best kind of therapy is when it gets really messy mm. because you encourage them to be messy. Yeah. Um, and so... So it's know. a more empowered state. Right. I know that you wouldn't want a client to stay in an angry state for the rest of his life. Absolutely. It's, an, it's finding the empowerment inside of himself, finding the, the anger that is caused by hurt, that is caused by shame, that is caused by love, and allowing that person to express it, to get to the hurt, and to get to that yeah. love underneath, I imagine. Right. Well, I think you put it perfectly, which is this concept of empowerment, um, because you know you can feel very disempowered or powerless as a gay man. Of course. Again, in a society that has more straight cruises than gay cruises. That's right, sure. Um, and where gay sex is still seen as, by a lot of people, as icky. I've heard people say a lot, in fact, I heard somebody say this at a town hall meeting with our congressperson the other day, that to be gay and to have gay sex or sexual activity, it's a choice. So why are we creating protections for people because of their choice, not for who they are? Now, that's been debunked somewhere between 9 trillion and right. 20 trillion times. However, it is still a, a, a belief that people hold. And it's shocking to me that, that someone would say to be gay is something someone looks left, looks right, looks center and says, I think I'll be gay. Right. Well, it's the old adage, did you choose to be, I don't know if it's an adage, did you choose to be straight? Right. I didn't well, choose to be straight. Right. You, and why would I choose to be gay? Let's be honest. I mean... I love my husband, I love, I love being gay, but it's not like I would have volunteered for it. You know, it's a little more difficult, I would say, to live as a gay man than it is as a straight man. Yes. And I'm just going to put it out there. Oh, Mark. I, I think, think that's you true. would agree with me yes, on that. Yes, of course. Um, and, and so, you know, I'm going to tell a personal story. I was, I had not come out yet. I came out when I was 16, but yeah. um, this was the mid-80s, and there were, uh, I was sitting with my parents, my mother and father and we were watching the news and there was one of the gay marches in Washington. And I remember my mother, who's very loving and now very supportive, looking at the screen and literally saying, we're not asking you not to be gay. We're just asking you not to have sex. Mm. Now imagine you're 15, really want to come out and you hear that. That is stigmatization. That's trauma. Because whether it's indirect or direct, it's saying you are broken. It is. You are not enough. Right. And having gay sex is bad. Um, and I got to tell you, as I'm sitting here remembering that, I'm getting goosebumps. Mm. And they're not bad, but it is that systemic, the body remembering the feeling 30 odd years later of sitting there and hearing my mother say that. Of course. And my dad didn't say anything. I'm not sure he knew what to say, but... Again, I want people to think about how much trauma, and I'm sure you talk about this on your show a lot, how much of trauma resides in the body. Yes. And how whether I wanted to call that up or not, it came up. Yes. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that. And I, I have to say that when I hear stories like that, I, when I've heard people say in the media, you can be gay, just don't influence my children. Just don't. It, right. I have rage, yeah. rage yeah. in my body. And I'm straight. Yeah. Like, 
I have never been in the crosshairs of this, but I want to, you know, like, to, to the point of wanting to scream or have physical violence. Yeah. Like, be, it, it makes me so angry, and that is where I say I can't possibly imagine the depth of what you're talking about. I can imagine it, but I've never lived it. I don't know. When I think, you know, I think about it, which is that I'm fairly evolved. I've done a lot of work, and so I hear that, and it, you know, it's interesting. I think, oh, it doesn't affect me, but it does. But I think also about a closeted 30-year-old gay man or a 16-year-old gay boy who's in Iowa, not to you know say anything bad about Iowa, um, <laughs> who can't process that, who can't bounce, let that bounce off of them. Yes. Um, and so there goes the both the stigmatization and the internalized homophobia. Yes, it's all in there. Yeah. One yeah. of the things I'm happy about today, as much as I and many people demonize technology, we know it's helped us in, in numerous ways, mm-hmm. and we know that it hurts us in ways of connection, that... Someone who is isolated in a community where where they don't feel like they have other people in the LGBTQ community, they, at the very least, they can find people digitally right. and globally. So it, I, again, it has to be so isolating, but there is an us out there yeah. that back in the 80s wasn't true yeah. I, they were out there but, right. but you didn't you wouldn't know well, how do you like right they were out people. there but many of them were in the bars in the bars um, in mm-hmm. you know in the gay and lesbian center but there weren't a lot of those there were a lot yeah. of gay bars because that's where it was quote unquote safe to be yeah. uh, but there wasn't much else and and you know I think what you're talking about with technology is that can be the difference between life and death for a little gay boy Yes, you know, between life and death. That's really, really important and, that you and say that. And that sounds super dramatic, but I absolutely believe it. Yeah. So you're talking about suicide potentially. Is absolutely. that what you're... Absolutely. And yeah. the statistics are, I don't have them in front of me, but it, anyone can look them up, about, I think, uh, gay teens are six times more likely to attempt suicide. Wow. Six times. Um, even in this very evolved world. Yes. Right? Remember, you know, we're on the left coast and there's the right coast. That's and right. Maybe Chicago and... Maybe a couple other cities in the sure, Midwest, no, right. <laughs> um, where it's not uh, safe. We live in a very liberal, and and even in a place it, like Los Angeles, where right. we are right now, it, it, all of these things still exist, but it's right. much, much right. different. And you know, gay men are murdered for being gay still. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, there were a couple of people killed in West Hollywood about a year ago, I think. Yes, gay men. We don't know why they were, why they were targeted, but it wasn't for you know. They didn't rob them. Sure. You know, there's a lot of hatred out there. And again, you don't walk down the street going, hmm, could someone look at me, say you're gay, if you're holding hands with someone and punch you in the face? I don't think you have to worry about that. Walking down the street with your girlfriend. So it's that the stigmatization, the cultural trauma, like it it just, it's it's a part of your everyday life. And I think part of it is accepting it's part of your life. Um, And so clients that I work with, I don't say it doesn't exist. Mm. Again, naming it. This Mm -hmm. is your truth. Mm -hmm. This is what you deal with. What would you say to, if if there are people listening now and they identify with what you're saying, uh, people in the LGBTQ community, Mm -hmm. what is it that you think they need to hear if they are resonating with the type mm-hmm. of things you're saying, if they haven't heard it already? I guess I would say something that probably is, you know, as a therapist is a little bit controversial. I'd say get angry. You know, in the in the 80s and early 90s, we had ACT UP, which was, uh, you know, the AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power, which was us fighting basically President Reagan, who wouldn't name AIDS for, I don't know, four years. Yeah. Uh, so I would say get angry. Okay, how um, so? How, uh, how would somebody do that? Um, I think if, if, if gay men were better at talking to each other about this kind of stuff 
Um, you know, I think talking about shame is not comfortable for most people. Mm. Um, so if people learned how to uh, talk about these experiences, not therapeutically even, say, I'm so fucking pissed off yeah. uh, that this is what I have to live with. Yeah. Uh, and I think there are more spaces to do that than there used to be. Yeah. So I would say get angry and get angry with other people. Okay. And then figure out what to do with that anger. And when you say angry with other people, do you mean get angry in communion with yes, other people? exactly. I love that concept of in communion. And, and again... Um, let, get active. Yeah. And have, have the anger to release it. Yes. Um, and always, I think therapy is never a bad thing. Sure. And I actually think gay men's groups can be really important because um, facilitated gay men's therapy groups are a great safe place to put that stuff out there. You run some of those, mm-hmm. right? And it just becomes... You know, you can name everything going on with if guys are, uh, you know, attracted to each other in the group or, you know, if someone's had a really negative sexual experience or they're using drugs and having sex, you know, the people in that room will understand yeah. uh, and be angry with them, be angry at them, yeah. um, you know, help them through whatever they're going through. You know, group is great. Group is hard. But I think that's a place that that gay men can feel safe to be angry. I think that's really great. And. I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth here, sure. but in, in what I'm hearing, part of what you say is to do all those things, to get angry, to be in communion, to, to name it in order to find the self-love underneath. Absolutely. Okay. You know, it's, it is a, a letting go Yeah. and understanding that there's some parts you will not be able to let go of. Okay. But just knowing. What is one thing you think straight men need to know about what it's like to be a gay man? It's scary. I think if I would think of anything to say, uh, that it's scary. Um, And then I'd probably follow up by, we don't all have anal sex. Mm. And being gay is a lot more than that. Yeah. You know. But I think, yeah, it's scary. And I'm 48 almost, and I'm still scared sometimes. That's important to acknowledge. Mm Mm-hmm. Own it. Yeah. Finally, what is one step humanity can take to move forward in healing? What comes to mind um, is to find within mercy, Mm. mercy for other people, have mercy. Um, And I think if we live in that space or if we can spend some time in mercy, the world will be kinder. People will be kinder. Lovely. Oh, I'd like that. So Dan, I know you're no longer practicing as a therapist, which I'm very sad about. (laughs) However, if there are people in the LGBTQ community that are hearing this interview, what resources can they go to if they're looking for help? I would have referred them to you. (laughs) Thank you. Well, they can always email me to give them referrals, but... Okay. How does um, that... uh, Where can they find you? Sure. It's uh, Daniel. That's easy. D-A-N-I-E-L dot Lacovara. Not as easy. (laughs) L-A-C as in Charles. O-V as in Victor. A-R-A at gmail.com. Okay. But other than me, most cities, most large cities have gay and lesbian centers. Great place to find out about groups, both individual and therapy groups. Got to tell you, psychology today, you can look up the word gay and uh, find it pretty easily. Psychology Today website. The website. um, You can search very specifically for people who work with gay clients and gay clients with shame, sexual issues. So um, that's a good thing about our uh, world and technology today is you can find help that way too. Okay. So groups. Groups. Uh, But definitely check out your gay and lesbian center. Look online. Um, They probably have referrals connected to those. Uh, And uh, talk to friends who are gay. I bet there are a lot of them that are in therapy. Mm. Dan? Yes, sir. You're a good man. You are too. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm so happy you came. Okay. So what now? First of all, take a minute to check in with how you're feeling. 
The part of the interview that stood out most to me is when Dan said that he would want people to know that it's scary being gay. That felt to me like a real eye-opening punch in the gut. To think that all of us can play a role in making life feel safer for a huge amount of people feels like a phenomenal invitation for us all. We can all make life safer for gay men by loving and understanding them and all that they've gone through. We can listen. We can open our hearts. We can ask questions of others and ourselves. And we can be good and loving to other people. Shame is toxic. It's insidious. It's harmful. And Dan's words really invite all of us to go to this internal place inside of ourselves and examine where do we feel shame? Where do we feel completely inadequate, gross, disgusting, unworthy, unlovable? Can we express our feelings to other people and allow them to love those parts of us so that that shame can heal and dissipate? And the specific brand of shame that Dan was talking to us, it's societal and it's interpersonal. By doing what Dan says, we are increasing the sum total of love and understanding and compassion on this planet, and I, for one, am in. If you are a gay man, Dan suggests to check out the services in your local gay and lesbian center. To look into therapy, or more importantly, group therapy, with other gay men so that you can heal and grow together from any individual or collective shame. He says to check into the Psychology Today website and search for therapy for gay men, and that's actually a great referral for anyone seeking a very specific type of therapy services. He says to talk to other gay men about your experiences, to get angry and express your feelings so that they don't fester inside of you and create even more shame. Talk to other people, express yourself, and let the love in. That's a recipe for a better and more loving world. See you soon. Thanks for listening to A Brave New Man Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to A Brave New Man on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And come follow us on Instagram at A Brave New Man Pod. That's A Brave New Man P-O-D for updates on the show and our daily words of wisdom. See you next time.